even Will Smith, I think, admits that he had gotten in over his head by the time Wild Wild West came came out. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hey, that was my Canadian hello. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We're getting we're getting really multinational now. <laughs> I just realized when you started the intro, I didn't think I didn't research a foreign hello today. So, I hey, buddy, yeah. I was, my mind went straight to Canada. <laughs> You're not my buddy, guy. <laughs> Um, and we apologize for Brian Adams <laughs> <laughs> and for music video sends Barrett share. Hello. Yeah, there you go. And today we're going to be continuing our series of best of the years we've been alive. And today it's 1997. Do you like apples? When you absolutely positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. You make me want to be a better man. I wouldn't trade places with Edmund Exley right now for all the whiskey in Ireland. I'd like to take his, his face off. Yeah, baby! Stop breaking the law, asshole! Oh, yeah. 1997 yeah. Has, uh, is very top-heavy. Yes. Um, it has a lot of... This is going to be tough. It is. And yeah. I was researching this thinking, this is going to test my convictions. Yeah. Because I'm on record saying Jackie Brown is better than Pulp Fiction. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we voted We voted Pulp Fiction the best movie we did. in 1993. Yep. But to be fair to you, <laughs> or you four. didn't vote Pulp Fiction. You're right. You're right. But... I think that means Jackie Brown has to be really high on my list, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about not only the number one movie as far as box office, but the one that actually ended up winning Best Picture and will not win here today, Titanic. Titanic. A big, big boat. Yes, a big, big boat. I like Titanic. Yeah. It was not nearly as good as some of these movies we're going to be talking about. No. It was just a major achievement, and it was a phenomenon, and it was hard for the academy to pick against it when you saw this ship break apart and sink that was a spectacle we had never seen oh yeah ever mm-hmm. and a lot of it is because now he's gone the other direction these days with avatar but a lot of that was practical right yeah I think we've even mentioned before he built a huge titanic replica to shoot this shit um and you know you watch it a second third time and you start to see some of the melodrama with billy zane and and some of the I guess really cheesy cliche characters and whatnot. Uh, but I still enjoy watching it because I think Leo and Kate are pretty magnetic. Yeah. And the spectacle still wows me today. Oh, yeah. And that score is is iconic, man. Everybody knows that it was turned into the Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. But the, da, 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 yeah. da, da, da. Uh, it was great. This yeah. is, uh, I mean, it still has some shitty digital effects in it. Like, it sure does. Uh, like when, especially when they're panning over the boat. Yeah. And it's like there's people down on the on the boat and those things they look like video game characters weebles fingers or but when it gets to the money of it yeah. it's pretty awesome um titanic was the last movie i saw in movie theaters that had a long run god this was unprecedented yeah i'm not even sure there was anything i mean i guess 
I guess when movies used to stay in theaters for six to eight months as a regular thing, mm-hmm. this kind of thing happened. But this movie made 20 to 40 million per weekend yeah. for like four months. It never was like, it never came out with that huge amount. Like it wasn't like, oh, it set all these opening weekend records or anything like that. It was just constantly making 20 million every week. How did it do that? Oh, it, it was girls going back it over was, and over and over. If you asked some of the people coming in, and they're 13 and 14-year-old girls, they would say, this is my eighth time watching this yeah. movie. Yeah, and, uh, and it And, you know, you don't... If you come out with a movie on December 17th, 18th, 19th, like what Star Wars Force Awakens did earlier this you know, last year... Um, you get that there's no competition in the next month at all. January, you get the holidays, you get mm-hmm. January. Then this movie got it all over again for Valentine's yep. Day and all this other type of stuff. It it was just the perfect mix. It was supposed to come out in the summer of yeah. 1997. Yeah. They moved it to this. If it had come out in the summer, Different it would story. not have been the same deal. Different story. It just made its money because it got a a very uh, fortunate release date, kind of like Force Awakens did. Yeah. It was supposed to come out in the summer, ended up hitting this date, and uh, and it went on. Now it did not last as long as Titanic. It had its burn three for three weeks, and then it stayed a phenomenon. But like it was not like what Titanic was doing, where it would make twenty million, twenty million, twenty million. It kept doing that all the way through <laughs> February. It was crazy. Well, Josh, my friend and I, Josh, went to see this opening night. This was at the competing theater in my town, so I had to pay to see this. Uh, one of the only movies I've ever paid to see back-to-back nights. So Josh, oh, really? and, Josh and I went opening night, sold out. I'm in the fifth row. And when they show that old couple cuddling in the bed, blubbered like a baby. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to pretend I did. Yeah. Uh, and so we get back. And, of course, at this point, all the TV stations, History Channel, they're all running Titanic shit to try and capitalize on this movie's popularity. And uh, Josh and I were watching one of these documentaries, and he was like, we should go back tomorrow and see it again. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then the film burned on my second viewing, and it took so long, I ended up I ended up going up to the competitor's booth to fix their film burn. <laughs> oh, wow. Because they didn't know what they were doing. Of course, this is a huge print, right? Yeah. And so they might have been extra scared about you know messing with that much film. Uh, but it was one of those things where I wanted to see the rest of the movie. I wasn't really trying to help them. But your selfishness <laughs> outweighed your yeah, corporate exactly. loyalty. All right. So what else do we have in this year? Uh, Goodwill Hunting. Oh my God! This oh, was yeah. the beginning of Matt Damon as we know it. Yeah. Uh, the he had had a he had had an, another movie earlier in the year called The Rainmaker, which mm-hmm. which was another a, John Grisham. Yeah, another John Grisham. Francis Ford Coppola sort of making a semi comeback there. Um, but, uh, he, you know, he, he wrote the script with Ben Affleck, of course, the, uh, how much Ben Affleck uh, contributed to the script has always been debated, but <laughs> when you see Ben Affleck and what he does with his directing yeah. uh, later on, maybe we were assholes for thinking that. <laughs> um, but I, I always heard rumors that this movie was a completely different thing. Yeah. And then Gus Van Sant took, got a hold of it and said, let's just make it more about, you know, Will and how he's a troubled kid with a, a genius brain. Yeah. And that's how that movie be- came about. But love Good Will Hunting. Well, and this movie introduced me to Elliot Smith. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Music wise, I'm not sure I would ever have come across him without this. And I am so glad it introduced me to Yeah, him you didn't have long. His stuff was great. Um, Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. This may be my favorite Robin Williams performance. Yeah. Um, and I love what this movie does. We talked last week about mental health in movies, yep. right? And so this movie does a couple good things, I think. It shows, I think the therapy sessions are fairly believable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I love the patience Robin Williams has with Matt Damon's character, that session where he sits there not saying a word and just going to put in his time and Robin Williams just sits there waiting with him. But the other thing it does well is Stellan Skarsgård's complete lack of regard for mental health. Oh, yeah. All he cares about is this kid's future and his mind. And there's that's good intentions. He's trying to help this kid, although he's also trying to reclaim his own failed dreams of glory but he has no regard for mental health and therapy he has no patience for it whatsoever and i think that's a very real thing out there in the real world it's a means to an end yeah. people only and i'll take the politics out of it but people will excuse mental health issues until it fits their mindset or their agenda sure. and that kind of thing now we need mental health help out there mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing and it's the same thing here where it's just like okay well you have to go to therapy it's court mandated they go through all those therapists and everything he keeps yeah. messing with all of them yeah. and they finally get to robin williams it's like he's my last chance and once that does connect then he's just like okay now we're good but that whole, all those performances just are lightning in a bottle everything connects Perfectly, you know, and and the centerpiece is Damon's just breakout performance, start to finish, just badass. Well, he really sells it. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Scene is so fucking cathartic. Yeah, I mean, you feel that. Um, God, I love this movie so much. And and it's it's easy to sort of make fun of that because it's such a now it's you know (laughs) we've gifted yeah yeah and we've done it millions of times too. But uh, but like it's 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 funny how that scene he is basically saying no you're not getting it like look you're sh- kind of shrugging it off and saying yeah i know it's not my fault whatever no no really believe it really believe it yeah. is what he's trying to say he's not trying to say you know this is some platitude that you should just kind of like whatever you know it's, yeah and he couldn't have done that any earlier in that therapeutic no. relationship no. I mean, he no. had to wait until all that was established yeah. yep. all that history and that's when he breaks. And Matt awesome. Damon going, "Don't fuck with me." Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he turns around, you see the tears in his eyes. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, yeah. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps right. So good. All, All right. right, moving uh, on. Yeah, let's talk about Jackie Brown for a minute. We've talked about Jackie yes. Brown a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris and I on record adoring this. Yeah, movie. me too. Um, and um, it didn't make a lot of money. It didn't. It didn't seem to please all of the Pulp Fiction fan crowd. Right. Well, you have to kind of think about. The release of this movie was right after Pulp Fiction, yep. and what and that sort of, you know, the pop culture crowd got glommed onto it. But. Yeah, I love how we get to see that final money exchange <laughs> from three different perspectives, uh, and this is a very Tarantino thing uh, to go back and show us something again from a different perspective. Um, and it's not like Rashomon where something different happens; mm-hmm. it's just. It, it's really entertaining and revealing to see a new wrinkle every time you're watching, whether it's Robert Forster or, or uh, Robert De Niro or what have you. Um, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, I think my favorite scene is when De Niro shoots Bridget Fonda in the parking <laughs> yeah. lot. Where is it? Where is it? Where'd yeah. you leave it? Um, and he just snaps. Mm-hmm. He's just like, boom. He's like, boom, look, boom. Just, just don't say another fucking word, okay? <laughs> another fucking word. And... Uh, I, this is one of the few movies that, if you ask me, is the book better or the movie better? The movie's better. Yeah. And this is Elmore Leonard. Yeah. This isn't like, you know, some asshole writing this book. You know, <laughs> this is, you know. Well, he <laughs> some, might be an asshole. Yeah, 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 he could be an asshole. You're, you never know. Uh, but I, I actually read the book uh, and I was like, wow. I mean, this is a good book. I'm mm-hmm. really into it. But the movie's so much better. It's it's insane how 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 it is. And yeah, it's one of those. I love how 
you know, uh, Jackie Brown basically is telling the feds one thing. Yep. One minor detail is missing from their story. Yep. And then one minor detail is missing from the story that she's telling Samuel Jackson or Del Roby. Another guy, he should have gotten nominated for this, by yep. the way. But because of all the sort of the backlash of, ja you know, Jackie Brown and everything, I think he was overlooked. Well, but Robert Forster was nominated, right? He was. Yeah. He was. But that's one of those they like, the comeback story. Yeah. You know, he had had this career in the 70s. Yeah. Now he's back. You know, Um so, yeah, he did get nominated for that. But, like, I feel like Samuel Jackson got overlooked on this. Oh, for sure. And this is actually, I think, Robert Forster uh, and Pam Greer is one of my favorite, like, most charming slow romances. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. When you see him in the car listening to the music that she played yeah. him in her apartment, <laughs> which he should never have come across as a weird boring white guy yep. uh, but he's getting into it and mm -hmm. he really likes her i just I, there's so many different facets to this movie for me to enjoy i can watch it any day and i i'm actually i think i'm gonna try to avoid spoiling this this is something a movie that people should watch yeah um but the but there is a scene between samuel jackson and robert de niro in a van that oh is <laughs> among one of my all-time favorite scenes yeah. Not only because Ordell Roby is a smart dude and he figures things out, but just the fact that it's a it's the dynamic between these two guys who have done time together yeah. and everything, and 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 it's you know a relationship that is changing because of this this heist. Or well, this and he's yelling heist. at him about about Bridget Fonda in the parking lot, mm -hmm. <laughs> having shot her. He's like, "Is she dead?" And yeah. he, De Niro's <laughs> like, eh, "Well, pretty much." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> Tarantino continues his track of resurrecting careers out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Pam Greer was a huge black sport. Exploitation, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, film star, and who was in Foxy Brown? That's was what in Foxy Brown, yeah, yeah. and uh, he really just and she was great in those, by mm -hmm. the way, but, yeah, um, yeah. He really just does the same thing that he did with Travolta with Pulp Fiction, and then it's so hard. It's got to be enormously hard to have this many important characters in a mm -hmm. movie to wrangle that, and I guess it's better to have the story all set out, you know, in a book. But even the screenplay, you have to give equal time to everybody, really make it make sense, and he just nails it, you know? Oh, yeah. Michael Keaton's character Michael Keaton's character ends up coming back in Out of Sight, Outside, right? Next year, yeah. yeah. Well, we have another poster on the wall for a movie we're discussing today. Mm -hmm. um, those <laughs> tend to usually get voted pretty heavily, but yep. I'm looking right here at the L.A. Confidential poster. Oh, yep. my God. God, what a movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite crime mysteries of all time. Yes. Like, if this is sacrilege, but if you were to ask me, would you rather watch L.A. Confidential or that Jack Nicholson movie with the incest? <laughs> Chinatown? <laughs> I might very well choose L.A. Confidential more often than not. I, uh, I'm trying to think of if there is a connection between these two movies, too, and I'm trying to remember what it is. It might be the score. It might be Jerry Goldsmith did both Interesting. for Chinatown and L.A. Confidential. But L.A. Confidential does tap into that sort of that Chinatown. Oh, yeah. Uh, that Chinatown vibe. I... I didn't really know how great I loved this movie when it came out. Mm. I didn't know how really great it was until I read the book mm. and they had they this is the perfect adaptation of that book. The book, it leaves out like a, a good section of it uh, that is important, actually, in the book. But they've they've tied that together in the movie so well, like they did made it basically make one character represent uh, you know, all that stuff that happened in the 50s, because he's talking about, 
you know, basically it's a, uh, a stand in for Di- Walt Disney World, the, the, the dream of dreamland and all the stuff that stuff that's getting. There's all this stuff involving the cops back in the 50s mm. and the creation of Disneyland, which is called dream of dreamland in the book um, and all this stuff that's happening with land and L.A. Confidential and everything. And it sort of gets represented by the James Cromwell character. But- this movie has an amazing cast. Yes, it does. Huge cast. Kevin Spacey, um- uh, Russell Crowe. So is this the, the next thing again? He did since Virtuosity. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this what a had, fucking debut! Then, really, I he mean, this has done a couple him. things. It was definitely pre Gladiator. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. we've got Guy Pierce, Danny DeVito, Kim Basinger, mm-hmm. uh, David Strathairn's in this. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, James Cromwell. Mm-hmm. It's almost you almost can't even think of everybody in, in order to name them all. And what a weird direction. Curtis Hansen took after this movie, the director, right? Because he's yeah. going to go on to do Wonder Boys, Wonder Boys? and and Eight Mile, yeah. neither of which are anything like this. There's Kim Basinger in Eight Mile, though. Well, yes, <laughs> must have liked working with her on this one. A very different Kim Basinger in Eight Mile. Yeah, well, and she gets nominated for this. Actually, she wins, I believe, yeah. wins for this. Um, that was completely unprecedented for Kim Basinger because Basinger always played like, you know, the the hot chick that yeah. was in every movie. Mm-hmm. Here she's it's funny because she's she is her character is playing a hot chick, basically. Yeah. But her character is uh, you know, it's a hooker dressed up to look like Rita Hayworth or what is it? Um, what is her name? Yes, there's a whole subplot here in this movie about high-priced hookers that have had plastic surgery to look exactly like celebrities, <laughs> which is something you think would be going on everywhere today. Veronica yeah. Lake. Oh yeah, Veronica right. Lake. Very good. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and it's a it's just a complex movie, but it it ties it all well so well together and everything, and it's and it's so intense. Yeah. So suspenseful, and in, and much like how we were talking about Lone Star, uh, mm. the previous year. It has to tie a whole bunch of stuff that happened in the past with what's happening in in the present, yep. and mm. and it's got a lot of moving parts. But man, it's just oh, it's so good. Yeah, I love this movie. What else? Continuing our top heavy year, fucking Boogie Nights. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Talk about a large cast. Talk about a movie I could spend two hours talking about. Yeah. This cast is killer. Oh yeah. my god. I mean Wahlberg. So Mark Wahlberg. Starting, I guess, in when he did Fear with Reese Wither- mm-hmm. Witherspoon, mm-hmm. like that was where you first saw, like, ah, Marky Mark can act, like yeah. he can actually act. Yeah. And then in this movie, he just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, uh, I will. I will also add that he was in the Basketball Diaries as uh-huh. well, which was another one that sort of kind of told you, but it wasn't a big movie. Mm-hmm. Not anybody really had seen that yeah. by that point. But but yeah, he gets in this, and and he and to a lot of people, he's still Marky Mark. Like yeah. not a lot of people saw Fear either. He's got. Well, he's got that blank canvas. Mm-hmm. Like he's just wide-eyed at the beginning, and he's just kind of like, okay, you know. And it's like, uh, you know, take him out back and blow him. You know, yeah. roll a girl, and uh, he's just like, okay, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. And then he goes back and he has sex with her later on. And like, are we gonna fuck? And he's yeah. like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just lights up a cigar or something like that. <laughs> it's uh it's one of those movies where you could say. This cast member totally steals the movie and lists six or seven different cast members. Yeah. Right? Yep. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie is such a strange mix of creepy and sweet, mm-hmm. right? Because he's slowly crushing on Mark Wahlberg, but he's also just a really sweet, nice guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to like rape him or anything. No. Um, but it's still creepy. Um, and 
God. Nobody uh, plays creepy like Philip Seymour Hoffman. No. John C. Riley in this movie is freaking <laughs> hilarious. Mm-hmm. William H. Macy. William H. Macy. Um, yeah, William H. Macy. Which who comes up with the, the great line, the my wife has an ass in her cock <laughs> in the driveway. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that was a mistake that was so perfect they kept it in? Or do you think it was scripted for him to be so flustered he gets those words I mixed up? I actually, I read something about this. I think it, I did too. And I think point. he meant to do that. It uh, wasn't in the script that way, but he meant to do that. Interesting. But the character doesn't even realize he's done it. Right, it's, right, right. And nobody even calls him out. It just moves on to the next scene. Like, I I think there was like a Mark Maron thing with Paul Thomas Anderson, and he talked about a lot about this, and maybe it was in there somewhere. Mm. I don't I, I think he actually meant to say this and they and and it was written in the in the script the other way. Interesting. And uh, but I think he wrote he did it that way. And it the just, way God intended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to talk about poor bastards. William H. Macy's character in this movie oh, is a yeah. poor oh, bastard. Yes, he Basically, is. the whole movie, his wife's just fucking everybody else but him. Yeah. Oh, my God. And she's and like, it, get out of here. You know, get back in the house. You know, and yeah. this is a guy who's in the porn industry mm-hmm. you would think if he really wants to get laid he could do it he loves his wife he he's feeling betrayed and oh Joss, i feel so bad for that guy <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah boogie nights uh sort of goes along the same kind of story beats as goodfellas does mm. it uh, it starts off with somebody who's kind of a young innocent type person who then ends up getting into a, a career that's kind of, you know, it, it's not illegal to be in porn, but it's kind of an offbeat type of thing to get into. Uh, there's a rise of this person, like, you know, there's like the the heyday of, of everything, and then they get into drugs, and then the drugs get sort of the That like, cocaine, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and Paul Thomas Anderson does pull off a lot of like Scorsese-esque type stuff in here, oh, too. Oh, yeah. That whole party scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, it's amazing. I mean, <laughs> going from like... Luis Guzman is that uh, the guy that yeah, uh, yeah. answers the phone? Is like, why not? Oh, no, he's not, he's not here. You know, <laughs> and Julianne Moore and just cutting to her, knowing that it's the you know her son or daughter or something it's, like that. Yeah, yeah. that is a, a really interesting thing about this movie too. Is that this is a family? This is portrayed as a family, but uh, how incestuous of a family is this? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> well, like <but> literally, <laughs> like. Uh, Julianne Moore plays Amber Waves. She's the mother of this. But the very first, the very first scene for Wahlberg in <laughs> yep. this is him having sex with her, yep. and then like he has sex with Roller Girl, who's the sister, basically. Her, you know, it's like it's like they separate have to separate this whole you know life from what they do outside of shooting and everything. It's just a weird. Just uh, it, it makes you, you know, makes you sort of like, what's going on with this? Everything is delivered weird. I mean, when he comes up and the the uh, the producer meets Dirk Diggler for the first time, and he's like, uh, Jack tells me you've got a big cock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> May I see May it? I see it. <laughs> he's like, and he looks at it for like maybe five seconds, and he's like, Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen enough. Yeah, um, yeah. But Boogie Nights is uh, is a fantastic movie. This mm-hmm. is Paul Thomas Anderson just like exploding yeah. onto the scene. He had done Hard Eight before this, which I really adore. But but this is the movie that really got him into that. Well, uh, and everybody who likes his movies has a different favorite. But I think this is his best, most completely excellent work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I like Magnolia, but it's about twenty five minutes too long. Yeah, um, I like. You know, I like all of his movies. Uh, it's just this one is the most complete 
uh, he was he, something was going on in his brain while he was making this, and he just wasn't making mistakes. And it is the best use of Night Ranger ever, <laughs> ever, ever in a movie with Sister Christian. Well, and let's not leave this out. The Alfred, Alfred Molina scene is one of the best <laughs> things you'll ever it's see. So fucking bonkers. Yeah, it is. There's a there's a little Chinese kid that's like throwing like firecrackers <laughs> behind. This is a tense situation. Alfred Molina is just kind of like I'm. I'm just kind of a crazy, wild, crazy guy. Whatever, don't worry about me. But there's Thomas Jane sitting there going, I want to rob this place. <laughs> it's like a lot of stuff going on. Uh, what else, guys? Well, Men in Black came out this yes, year. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Men in Black, uh, <clears throat> one of my favorite movies. So I love this movie. I did not know what to expect when I went into it. Uh, the trailers, I guess, gave me a little bit of a clue, but this is one of those movies that just entertained me from beginning to end. Um, and uh, it was. It's memorable to me because my brother got married the weekend Men in Black came out and all of the groomsmen promised to wait. I guess the it, the movie came out the week before the wedding. So we all decided to wait and not see this movie and see it together as part of the bachelor party. So there's this big row of like eight of us guys sitting there watching this hilarious space alien comedy. Uh, just a really memorable experience for me. That may be why I like it so much. I don't know. Sort of the affirmation of Will Smith as a, as a huge movie star. Um, Independence Day got him there, but Men in Black solidified it yeah and that was it. He's, so he owns the summer from this point yeah yeah and um and he's excellent in this he's just so he's so funny and and tommy lee jones is playing is sort of playing off of his yeah the character he has built for himself in the 90s at this point in a really funny way yep. and really effective way and um yeah men in black is great uh barry sonnenfeld who's also having a great decade at this point uh because he's done get shorty he's done the adams family movies um this is uh just a funny and entertaining well, movie i tell you what it it was responsible for unfortunately it was responsible for will smith starting to do theme songs for his own movies yeah and fuck a bunch of that because <laughs> after here come the men in black and then he did wild wild west yeah and one of the worst movie theme well, songs well, of all and time. then he did black suits coming for men in black too. yeah yep e- yep even will smith i think admits that he had gotten in over his head by the time <laughs> wild wild west came came out uh, i've been over my head be- man because after he after he did after he did men in black he really started to get it into his head that like you know hey Hey man, July is Big Willie style. You just sit back and just watch the watch me and be entertained and everything. And then when Wild Wild West came out, it was like, oh, maybe not everybody's into this all the time. It's Big Willie style. Yeah. Um, also in 1997, The Fifth Element. The came Fifth out. Element. I watched this in the theater with a bunch of friends. Similar experience to what you had, like. Just people that were just primed for a fun experience. Yeah. And this was a fucking fun experience oh, for sure. from mm-hmm. start to finish. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's you haven't seen anything probably like it since. It's been people trying to imitate it, but it's Chris Tucker, Bruce Willis, the older black dude that plays the president that seems <laughs> like he's got marbles uh, in his mouth oh uh, if you now that's if you hadn't have said that i'd have been able to come up with his name you had ian holm you had tricky with guy the from friday guy from friday yeah <laughs> no, it was it was so much fun yeah uh, chris tucker's dialed up a little too far for me in this yeah. movie oh my god and i yes. know that's part of his shtick but if he could have given me rush hour chris tucker mm. instead of I guess Rush Hour Chris Tucker on acid. <laughs> Ruby um, Rod! Then this movie would be almost perfect for me, even with all the weirdness. But when we get to that last third, it slowly starts to 
lose me because they give so much screen time to Chris Tucker. The guy is uh, is Tiny Lester, by the Tiny way. Tiny Lester, of who, course. By the way, he, him, and Chris Tucker both in Jackie Brown. Oh, and yeah, they were both yeah, in yeah. Friday. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, man, this is a this is a movie like Luc Besson. He wrote it when he was like fifteen. I wow. Think. And he and it's and he wrote like some four hundred five hundred page script or something. It's an interesting story to, to even to even look that up. But but this looks like a, a fifteen year old kind of like. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this and this and this and this and then just there's really no end to it. But man, is it fun the mm. way it the way it plays out and and Mila Jovovich is like <laughs> there's something there's I mean what is uh, it? She's well she's perfect because she's playful, she's innocent, but you also know that she's the most perfect being ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she can do all this crazy shit when she's first introduced. You know, she has this daring escape that, you know, she's got these superpowers, basically. Mm -hmm. But she plays it off so relatably. She, everybody wanted her as their girlfriend. Well, and Luc Besson took her as his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then cast her in uh, Joan of Arc yeah, movie. That Joan was of Arc. terrible. Yeah, oh, terrible. Yeah. yeah, but there was a there was some. Was there some sort of weird thing going on in the nineties where they were growing like little girls in like uh, glass <laughs> boxes and like make and then like giving them superpowers yeah. and shit? Because yeah. Species was like that too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Species and Fifth Element. There's probably like five hundred other little girls being grown up in boxes. Morgan. Movies. Yeah, Morgan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of my very favorite comedies of all time, Liar Liar. Yeah. Oh. Now, this is Chris and I talk a lot about working in a theater and stepping into a, a sold out show to see the audience react. Mm -hmm. This is the single most frequent for me that I ever did that. Was yeah. Liar Liar, because there are so many moments that were big laughs for me. But especially those outtakes at the end, yeah. um, which are hilarious. But the the crowd has already just had a great experience, and then you give them that candy at the end with the outtakes. I walked into the back of this auditorium probably every show. Mm -hmm. um, I love this movie. I think it's probably the best Jim Carrey has to offer. It is manic, but not too manic. It has heart. Um, and uh, everybody around him just compliments what he's trying to do. Everybody's playing straight man, basically, mm -hmm. except for Jim Carrey. And my wife and I quote this constantly. You mm -hmm. know that. My yeah. wife and I bonded over this movie when we were dating. And Chris even drove all the way up to where we live in the suburbs to bring us a poster of Liar Liar. Chris, oh, the yeah. movie poster owner extraordinaire. And that was <laughs> our wedding gift, which we still have to this day. Um, I love it. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but uh, I could pick any scene and start quoting right now. Yeah. Liar Liar is definitely the best Jim Carrey has to offer as far as comedy is concerned. Um, I think we're going to get into uh, his best mm -hmm. movie later, but... Um, but Liar Liar um, is, uh, yeah, it's it's got such a great premise to it. It's it's that perfect, yeah, little kid wishes on a birthday cake and he gets what he wants and it's that his dad can't lie, but doesn't know quite what that really means because that means lying in every little situation that there is possible, <laughs> you know, like even the smallest of things he can't lie about. Right. And that leads to all these little, you know, especially the... <laughs> Him trying to say that the pen is oh, blue <laughs> and and like and he's like sitting there like can't say it at all and he's just going through all these gyrations. I just wonder how many 
takes, uh, how much time they spent on him going through all these, the pen is blue, the pen is blue. I love when he's <laughs> pitching um, the new client that he can win her divorce. And he's like, where, where would Tina Turner be if she'd yeah. have rolled over and said to Ike, hit me again and put some stank on it. Yeah, yeah. Rolling down the river, that's where she'd be. <laughs> he shines in every freaking scene. Yeah, um, He just, uh, I just, this is, you could replace everybody in this movie with other actors. And mm. if he does what he does, it's still exactly as effective. Yeah. Oh, man. I just, uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. No, but. you're right about it. Because we were talking about Ace Ventura and the mask and Dumb and Dumber and all that stuff earlier. And what he doesn't have in those, and I think those are fine. And yeah. I think they're they're funny and everything. But what he doesn't have is any sort of context, any sort of ground. Right. Like his this, family and... Putting it into, you know, uh, a family context and all that stuff. Even that moment when he's talking with his wife and he says, I'm a bad father. And just sort of realizes, yeah. shit, the only reason I'm able yeah. to say that is because it's true. And it's a comedy, but there's still heart in that moment. Um and I think you're right. I think that's why it makes it uh, elevated above some of the earlier work. Yeah. yeah. Carrie Elways also has a, like one great moment in this when he's trying to be the claw. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the Jim Carrey does this thing with his kid that's called the claw. And it's like something his kid loves because they've always done this together. And he, you know, he, of course, Jim Carrey can do what Jim Carrey does. And then Carrie Elways comes in. Ah, uh, you love, you hate the claw, don't you? You really afraid oh, of the claw? Oh, the claw's coming at you. It's going to get you. <laughs> and he, and he keeps doing all these little faces and everything. It's really kind of a, it's a generous thing thing for carrie always to do uh this type of role because sure. he's nobody's gonna like this person right. at all but he gets everything like you you need to do in this role and everything yeah he gives that jim carrey gives the baseball stuff to his kid or whatever and J carrie always is like ah oh, great gift dad <laughs> jim carrey's like thanks son yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like hey enjoy my wife <laughs> i mean you're right because carrie always is a perfectly nice guy he yeah. doesn't do anything wrong in here yeah. he's just trying to be a loving you know want to be husband and stepdad or what have you uh but you, you are made to hate him because he stands in the way of what our protagonist wants another anyway. another uh actually a comedy that didn't really do huge amounts of business but then got a tremendous following on video then got its mega sequel austin powers yeah austin powers is uh is really yet another bond uh spoof there had uh -huh. been several before um but never to the point of what Mike Myers does. In he this. went for it. He really went for it, and he gets it. He gets the James Bond stuff down so right. Like everything about everything that's ridiculous mm -hmm. about Bond movies has got now a comic effect to it. Yes, yeah. that you know. I mean, you can look at the Bond movies the same way, but it's not. It's not really like what Austin Powers does, where it's just, you know, all this stuff is jokes. The, you know, the the bald evil man who's playing Blofeld, basically, this is Dr. Evil, you know, his, he's stroking a kitty and all this other type <laughs> of stuff. he's got the affectations of Lorne Michaels, yeah, too. The, yeah, Lorne Michaels. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this was not a, a big hit by any means. It made $53 million, probably made a profit. 
but uh, it really got a following after this, and it, it it's spawned funny two too. sequels. Yeah, it's, it's very it's funny. funny. It, I mean, it, all of the the lines just turned into cliches. You know, do I make you horny? Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. It's but it was really funny, super quotable. But the next one with Heather Graham is a box office bonanza. Yeah, huge movie. Yeah, yeah I, I remember you and I were working at Hollywood when, the, or maybe not. We we were yeah. because and it, it came the, out. It came out after Star Wars, I think. Okay, yeah. Either just before or after Star Wars. It came out around that time. I think it was after, because I remember seeing the previews for it when I got there, and Star Wars had just opened, but... Um, but yeah, like it was a, a unbelievable box office hit. Like, I remember when it came out, I was just like, the first one didn't do anything, yep. and I don't remember people really liking that first one i liked it when it came out but like i didn't i didn't think it was gonna get that kind of a treatment no. yeah so yeah. but yeah good stuff let's stick with comedy and talk about donnie brasco yeah <laughs> another heavy hitter as far as oh, it is in my list of top six that i might vote for me uh, too johnny depp now he kills this but he is still sort of playing the straight man mm-hmm. the showier roles are going to people like al pacino and michael madsen what have you um and al pacino god like we talked about before you've never seen him like this mm-hmm. he's usually the top guy he's a badass he's a boss and in this he's just, he's old he never got promoted mm-hmm. he's running out of money nobody really respects him they give him this big cat as a joke gift yeah. that's just to fuck with him yeah um you really really feel for this character even though he's a bad guy by the end when he gets arrested and realizes that Depp double crossed him you're just like wow he's probably gonna kill himself now he's got nothing left i love these movies about undercover agents to where they get so far in i don't know how how much it happens in real life it may happen it all the time happen regularly but he gets, by the time the movie starts and he's Don the jeweler and, you know, Al Pacino or Lefty knows that he's Don the jeweler and he gets people to vouch for him, the barber, this guy, this guy. And he's got to be already embedded in that culture for so long that by the time he meets Al Pacino's character, it's just, it goes exponentially. Yeah. And, you know, he moves up quicker than, than. Well, uh, and by the end of the movie, he's changed. He's yeah. like, like there's. His wife is pointing out how much he cusses. He's one of them, yeah. Yeah, and there's that scene at the end in the court. After he gets his little award in the city office, he's standing looking out the window, and you're just like, well, he's just as defeated as Al Pacino Absolutely. is now. Like, everybody came out of this thing defeated. Yeah. Oh, man. This is a movie that I swear I would swear that if Titanic was not the phenomenon that it was, it would have gotten almost all the spots that Titanic basically took up oh yeah uh in this whole thing uh al pacino and johnny depp is some of their best work does not get nominated in this movie <sighs> uh the only nomination was for the screenplay which is deserved but mike newell doesn't get direct director nomination it's just one oscar nomination out of this everybody all the critics love this i think everybody watched this movie love this but it was fell by the wayside in 1997 because it was such a big year uh, but kind of a disappointment when you look back and see like, you know, these, these performances were not nominated. Some of the most unnominated performances. Well, I love time. that scene where they go to that restaurant and mm-hmm. Johnny Depp has a tape recorder in his boot, but they want him to take off their shoes. Cause it's, a, I think it's a Japanese restaurant. Oh yeah. And he refuses cause he can't reveal this. Right. But then the consequences of that where the other gangsters decide, you know what? We're not going to let them tell our Johnny Depp what to do. Let's take this guy in the bathroom and beat him within an inch of his life. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Depp has to be sitting there going, 
I just basically killed that guy. Yeah, and he plays yeah. it on his face. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Great. So great. Also responsible for the uh, forget about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's said, I don't know how many times in this movie, and one of the best scenes in there is when the FBI guys are sitting around. They're like, forget about it. What does it mean? Forget about it? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, you know, it's like sometimes you say, you know, this 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 pasta is the greatest. It's a forget about it. And sometimes it's like, fuck you, you know? Forget about it. And then Paul Giamatti's like, forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> Just had to mention Paul Giamatti again. Yeah. Um, also in 1997, Life is Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another, another big one. We've talked about it before, but it's... Uh, this is uh, this is just as heart wrenching, but as entertaining all at once type of movies that you can get. Yeah, it's it really hit me. And when we do our main topic later, you're going to hear me talk more about Life Is Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move on for now. Okay. Uh, also in 1997, David Fincher's The Game. Yeah, which is another great movie. Did not get nobody really watched this movie, but uh, it's a great follow up to Seven. And another, it's another uh, instance where a director has made a movie before, and he comes out with his follow-up that might even be just as good. It, like, the game's not better or, or as good as Seven, but it's close. It's yeah, up it's there. It's really good. It's up there, and uh, and 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 people just kind of like, nah, I don't want to watch. That. I love the game, but I will freely admit it has one of the most unbelievable, ridiculous premises known to man. <laughs> yes, it that, does. That all of this shit could be orchestrated the way that it is is flat out unbelievable yeah uh but if you buy that premise that it could be it's a really entertaining ride yeah um but yeah i mean this is this is sort of you know michael douglas doing michael douglas Mm -hmm. stuff sort of a play on michael douglas because he's always been that wealthy rich businessman guy and now he's sort of getting his comeuppance and all yeah. of this, you know. So it's a uh, it's a fun play. And Sean Penn, oh yeah, uh, he's ni- fun. a nice little uh, supporting role mm-hmm. in this. Um, Penn was kind of an expert at that in the '90s with Carlito's Way and this and everything. And then he would become a little bit more prominent again in the in the next decade. But love the game. What else, guys? Well, Lost World Jurassic Park came out in '97. Yes, it did. Big box office hit. Um, I like this more than most Jurassic fans uh I, I don't think it's as good as the first by any stretch and there are plenty of problems with it but this has so many winning moments for me um we were just talking yesterday about it where we've got the cliff scene with the t-rexes mm-hmm. and the, the raptors through the tall grass chasing mm-hmm. the people uh and there's enough good stuff here that I, I keep coming back to it over and over and um then they really fall off the cliff with the third one <laughs> Uh, but th- I know people who dismiss Lost World, and I just can't do that. Yeah, I mean, it. It you can see the the sort of the genius of Spielberg in this in in areas, but then yeah, he's he is also in his indulgent phase <laughs> in this in this in this movie. So there's a lot of stuff like you know the gymnastics portion yeah. of it. There's um, just the the San Diego thing is yeah. such a. I mean, yeah. it's so it's such a bad i mean there i i actually love the part where the t-rex actually emerges from the ship that crashes that's a yeah no, that's, that's a great that's moment of suspense yeah, even yeah. though it makes zero sense they're like going around where's the t-rex oh he somehow got back in the cargo <laughs> and the door was and shut. the door was shut <laughs> and uh and all that and then, you know of course there's the dumbass who's like let's open the door <laughs> and uh <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and you know, like there's the there's because Steven Spielberg loves like those severed limbs and everything. There's like a hand on the steering yeah. wheel, like so, like the T Rex poked his head in there, <laughs> ate the guy while he's steering the boat, just but left his arm, left his yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still love his emergence because it's a great scene of suspense and everything, and 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 I always I'll tell people this like it's one of those weird things I did as a projectionist. We had two prints of this, and back in 1997, getting two prints at our eight-screen theater was, like, unheard of. And we had this one that was at, like, 10 o'clock on a weeknight or whatever, and there was nobody in there. And uh, so I walked in, and it's during that scene, and I, I walked all the way up to the screen and looked up at the screen and and like that the t-rex's jaws were like just big as life coming down on me and i was like oh wow this is a freaking un- unbelievable scene um but yeah uh, i know what you mean it's got a lot of good stuff but a lot of bad uh what else in 1997 guys? another big ben affleck movie chasing amy chasing amy yep. Yeah. yeah, Kevin this Smith. Is, I think this is maybe Kevin Smith's best film. Easily. I, yeah, I think we all think that. Okay. Yeah, it's then awesome. Then I will, I will not state it as though it is some <laughs> daring opinion. It obviously had some sort of, I mean, it had some controversy because it is a lesbian mm-hmm. converting. Yep. Even though, yes, she in the past she had uh, she had dabbled in guys, um, but like uh it it sets her up as this i i like girls and that's who i like and that's that's the way it's going to be and then he because he's been affleck yeah he's somehow able to change her now it's still even that what i just said is probably controversial because you can't you know you can't narrow anybody in a box but I still feel like the movie saying she's a lesbian and that she likes girls only and then yeah. he, she just changed well i feel like joy lauren adams makes this movie yes she does so magnetic she's awesome charming and cute and if you the viewer aren't sort of drawn to her i don't think this movie works yeah um but i like it it's the one of of smith's movies movies that i've seen the most um and yeah, Jason Lee is in yeah. this. Yeah, Jason, Jason Lee's so his, good. Yeah, his character is probably one of the most outside of like Jay and Silent Bob, it, one of the most enduring characters that you can actually relate to because he's an angry son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. He's an inker, you know that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but he's he's definitely he is in love with Holden. You know that's yeah. the whole thing. He agrees to have the threesome at the end. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, but uh, he's got more meat on the bone than any, certainly of any Kevin Smith's early characters. Mm-hmm. Like Dante doesn't have a whole lot, you know, to to offer as a character. Uh, but uh, he he's very very memorable, and Ben Affleck's character is, is really good too. Yeah, I know by the very fact that I brought it up, it makes it sound like I think that's a big deal in the movie that she's converted and all that. I don't actually. I, it doesn't bother me as far as watching the movie and enjoying it and everything is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think Ben Affleck has that great speech that get you know finally gets her you know to finally say all right I do love you mm-hmm. you know that he's got that. Um, imagine this was kind of a hard movie for Kevin Smith to make too because he had dated Joey Lauren Adams. Oh yeah, and they had broken up and everything mm. when this movie was being made. So that was <laughs> that, ah. I mean that's kind of mm. a, an interesting wrinkle that I'm sure he's talked about millions of times I've just never heard the story on it you know so yeah and the other the other thing about this is that in each of the Kevin Smith movies that have Jay and Silent Bob he always has a, a time where he opens up and he talks mm-hmm. this is the only one that really like is impactful like yeah. really like that whole chasing Amy speech mm-hmm. is is just 
great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love this. This is definitely Kevin Smith's best, mm-hmm. in my, and I think in all of our opinion. What else? Please say face off. Please say face off. Please <laughs> say face we'll off. Say face Please off. Say face off. You've already said face off. Do we have to talk about face yes! off? Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's bonkers. Yeah. It is so bonkers. Yeah. There's nothing that makes sense about this. No. But John Travolta is chewing the fuck out of every scene, and Nicolas Cage is so over the top. Yeah. Everything, playing himself, playing Travolta, playing himself. Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. I love the doves. I love the bullets. I love everything about this movie. Might be John Woo's best American movie. I think so, yeah. Which is odd. Uh, it just goes to show how things get watered down when you come over to these shores and you have to go by uh, <laughs> these parts. Yeah. When you go, when you're, uh, when you're used to being able to do what you want to do and in, in your place of birth and then you come over here and they're like, well, now you're dealing with corporations. Yeah. Deal with it. Fucko. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, but face off is probably his best one. He had done broken arrow, which is, you know, mm-hmm. piece of shit. And then, uh, <laughs> Hard Target is a fun movie, but it's mm-hmm. not by any means a great movie. But Face Off, yeah, I mean it's it's batshit fun, yeah. you know. That's, uh, what else can you say about it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's not gonna. I mean, it's not good, <laughs> but it is totally watchable. Well, yeah. since we're really since we're on this uh, subject here, there's several in a, in the, in a row in 1997. You can talk about Starship Troopers. Yep. Paul Verhoeven. 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 Uh, because we will be, you know, uh, chastised about calling him that's Bear- right, Bearhoven. But uh, but Starship Troopers, uh, he comes back with this one. Star Showgirls <laughs> <laughs> is not a good movie in any capacity. So this one, it comes out, and I think it sort of misled the public. And sort it of very what it was, much did. It was supposed to be this big giant alien bug, like Men in Black. You know, like but a how, big giant alien invasion movie. How would you market it differently, though? Isn't that the only way that they could do it? How yeah. can you? How can you come out and say we are a subversive satire you can't. of that? You can't. I mean, uh, if you want to make any money, you had to do it. How you they have to did do it the and way they, they fooled did. me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the only way they could have gone. It's it, like you know, the, I think the big. We'll we'll probably talk about this movie next week, but. Uh, the biggest time that ever happened to me was with the movie Snake Eyes. Oh, yeah. Snake Eyes had that trailer that I was like, I'm so goddamn intrigued in this. And and then I watched it and I was like, oh, it's not really even all that. I mean, there's not really much to this, yeah. really. Um, but Starship Troopers, yeah, is... It's a, it's really made to be a movie that you they hope makes a bunch of money mm-hmm. and then does what it does afterwards, which is... Um, gets a gets a following afterwards for its satire and all that sometimes it's debatable satire i know i don't think i, I can't say for sure but i it looks like a good majority of the cast has no idea that this is supposed to be satire mm-hmm. i mean casper van dien god bless him is just you know giving it his all and that's that's his ceiling right there right uh, Denise Richards is really you right. know in there, but it's like, uh, do you but, really know? Maybe Neil Patrick Harris did, but yeah. like, um, they they look like they're approaching this as a traditional action movie. But uh, I would also counter with that if you are thinking about doing a movie like this and you're going to cast your you know hot '90s actors in it and everything, you wouldn't tell them 
that you know like especially these kind of these actors or whatever maybe you don't tell them that yeah. you just play it straight i don't want you to know that it's satire there's enough satire in it like the stuff that's in robocop the whole you know this is why we fight type stuff that's going on in mm-hmm. there um to make you think that there's something else going on it is debatable though like yeah. it's a good it would be a really good like discussion for an hour and talk about whether it qualifies yeah you could also talk about the one of the best all-time co-ed shower scenes oh yes yeah oh yeah are there a lot i don't know crazily (laughs) enough crazily (laughs) enough back in 1997 when i was 20 i really wanted to see denise richards naked and she didn't she didn't get naked in that i know and it was wild things where she decided that she was gonna get naked yeah so you had to wait But, but but dina meyer was good yeah. yeah <laughs> um, also on this train of thought, the devil's advocate, which we talked about yeah, already, about getting naked. Yeah, we've talked about that a, a bunch, but it's another daffy ass movie. Anyway, let's go on to the next one. Uh, I want to talk briefly about In and Out with uh, yes. Kevin Klein. Yeah. yeah. Um, ripped from the headlines, right? So Tom Cruise wins the Oscar for Philadelphia. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks wins mm. the Oscar for mm. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise not actually in that movie. <laughs> no, he's not. Um, and Hanks thanks a, a drama teacher from earlier in his life who's gay, mm-hmm. like his character. Well, somebody really smart said, what if in real life that guy wasn't actually gay? Right. And this actor just outed a guy who's straight. Um, and that's this movie's premise. Kevin Klein is a straight guy. He's engaged to Joan Cusack. Um, and uh, Matt Dillon is the guy that yeah. wins the Oscar and thanks his former drama teacher who's gay. And then this small middle middle America town goes bonkers as everyone wants to know, well, are you gay? What's going on? And like Tom Selleck shows up as this reporter who's trying to get to know him and eventually kisses Kevin Klein yeah. on the side of the road, right? Selleck. When somebody he knows pulls up and he's like, oh, it's just a, I just ran into my friend here at the intersexual. I mean, homosexual. I mean, intersexual. <laughs> Selleck um, playing totally against type because we've known him as Magnum P.I. Yep. And, mm. and Quigley Down Under and yeah. all these type of uh, characters. And he's playing a gay guy yeah. in this. Um, yeah, in and out is is hilarious. Um, another movie from Frank Oz, who comes yep. up from time to time on these things. Uh, but uh, but yeah, In and Out is a really funny movie because it's Kevin Klein sort of coming to terms as to what he really is and what he's really you know has he been denying himself the entire his entire life. Um, I uh, I think the ending of this is you're talking about endings that are ludicrous yeah. and everything. Yeah. This is the, one of the most ludicrous endings I've ever seen. Everybody standing up and saying that they're gay. So yeah. That, so that, you know, but I am Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. But but a really funny and entertaining movie. Yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, also in 1997, a movie that didn't get much. Um, I don't, not much of audiences or anything, but Gattaca was such a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it came from, uh, this director named Andrew Nicole. I don't know how to pronounce that. Nickel. Is it Nickel? I'm pretty sure it's Nickel. Because he goes on to write the Truman Show. Yeah. And then the movie Simone that Al Pacino was in. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but Gattaca, man, that, talk about a movie that is really ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Talking about, um, you know selecting exactly the perfect sperm egg combination mm. to get the kids that you want yeah instead of but letting the natural selection take and that's what this whole movie is an allegory for by the way because ethan hawk is the a natural born 
kid and they don't think there's anything to him at all but there's a reason why that sperm fertilizes that egg right you know it's because he does he does strive ahead of all the other millions um I love this movie so much, though. This is what introduced me to Jude Law, and yeah. Jude Law is excellent in this. He Another is. great, like, unnominated performance, really, if you want to talk about it, but not in this year. You can't really get that, but man, so good. Kind of setting up a, a, a type of performance that he continues with, like, the the talented Mr. Ripley and, like, these just very erudite, um, you know, well-spoken, mm. you know, British people. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about contact. Yes. Contact. I love contact. We, lo- we all love it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody in the world loves nope. it. No. In fact, I think it's a pretty divisive film. Yep. Um, and it sat through the whole goddamn thing and it was her fucking father. That's the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> that's the reason. That's the reason why it's divisive. <laughs> yeah. um, because everything else leading up to it is amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, based on a Carl Sagan novel who had the unique ability to explain quantum physics and aerospace and things like that to layman yeah and i think i think they killed it on this they lost over a lot of stuff from the book but i think the the right stuff from the book and Mm -hmm. the scope of this and the performances i thought were really good yeah me too it's really heady stuff but Mm -hmm. it doesn't really ever feel like it right Mm -hmm. um and I love uh, Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster, James Woods. It's just it's stocked with cast members that I love. Um, so I, I don't know why I like it. I just like it. Well, it sets every. I think it sets everything up so well. The way they first they they're like, okay, we've you know, she comes up with all these numbers. She figures out the sequence and all this other stuff. Figures out what it means. They set up this uh, portal, and after all of that. <laughs> unlike how in fantastic four where they, oh, we built the shuttle we don't get to go to the moon yeah. um the uh they make it where tom scarrett her boss gets to go and so they they continually make her an underdog yeah. all the way through this but there's this whole idea like oh wow there's another species out there they're trying to contact us they're all doing that that's always entertaining it's always intriguing and um and then they build this they build this thing and then of course it's sabotaged yeah and everything but then there's a scene in there that I used to walk in on all the time you're talking about all time like had to go in and watch this is when John Hurt is telling her about the second one uh-huh. and when he's like he's like they want still want an American to go do you want to take a ride <laughs> love that yeah and uh and then like all the stuff. All the stuff where she's in the thing, which we've done in outtakes a million times, uh, the uh, that that ship is so cool. It is it's cool. so cool. Yeah, you know, and the way they built it, the way it's the way it works, and everything, and all leading up to, yes, it's her goddamn father. Yeah, and but it has a a nice little twist at the end with James Woods and Angela Bassett there at the end, which is always gives me chills when, when she talks about the the tape that was made and everything. But I love contact. This is Robert Zemeckis. Um, uh, who had, uh, had come off of Forrest Gump, another movie where he had just, you know, a director had come off one of their high points and then they come out with their next movie and people are just like, eh, it's not that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, well, uh, briefly, I want to talk about The Spanish Prisoner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, the same writer. David Mamet. David Mamet as State and Maine, uh, one of the 
banner movies for this podcast. Uh, this is not like State and Maine. This is not a straight comedy. This is not spoofing Hollywood. This is a drama and an, like almost an intrigue mystery kind of film. You maybe have never seen Steve Martin in this kind of role before. Uh, Campbell Scott is basically this guy who's come up with this magic mojo formula thing. And um, there may or may not be some people trying to steal it from him by uh, a huge long game con. Uh, I find this movie really in- enjoyable. I don't know how you feel about it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Motherfuckers. All right. Well. I know. Look, here's this is a movie that slipped by, slipped through the cracks, was never able to find it afterwards. Yeah. Um, I know it's good. Yeah. I believe you. Yeah. And he directed it too. David yeah. Mamet. Okay, great. Um, um, so I mentioned that. Move on. Um, but But I would almost say, even without seeing it, recommend because this is a movie that everybody loved critics were all over this it's really and, good. It, and i know it's good so well, the last time jeremy sold us a movie it worked out pretty well with yes, Locke. yes it did <laughs> um uh yeah we're briefly going through all these the rainmaker we 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 discussed francis ford coppola i thought made a real good comeback with this, this i like is, this movie a lot. yeah i do too it's really good mm-hmm. and 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 damon and claire danes yep. coming up again that's my girl but uh yeah this is a that's a fun movie um hercules yeah disney and animation continue. i'm on an island i love hercules yeah, I think it's good. I, I don't think most people like it. I haven't I, seen it since it came out. I think what appeals to me about Hercules is the music because it's got this gospel vibe. Mm-hmm. Who put the glad and gladiator Hercules? And and that <laughs> that just pulls me in and makes me smile all the way through. I used to do this great impression of Hercules singing. Uh, go the distance. Oh yeah, um, not gonna do it here. Just like my Aladdin impression. Uh, but I used to have that one or two lines nailed down. I sounded just like him. Um, but it's. I'm not saying it's great. I just enjoy it. James uh, Woods is a great villain. He is maybe the best Disney animated villain yeah. in the modern era for yeah. sure. Uh, also, 1997, as good as it gets, came yeah. out. This might be James L. Brooks' last good movie. Um, uh. Jack Nicholson's amazing in it. He's like is. you've never seen him before, and you have seen him since, but at that point, he had never played a character Yeah, like that. yeah. It has some of the meanest dialogue he's ever written. Sure. Um, uh, when sh- when the woman uh, at the desk says, how do you write women so well? He's like, I think of a man, and I take away reason and accountability. <laughs> <laughs> He's so great. And we could have talked about this last week because he's severely OCD in this movie. Like he has to oh, use yeah, a brand oh, yeah. new bar of soap every time he washes his hands. He's got like 82 locks on his door. Um, really fascinating character, anti-hero. And then you get Cuba Gooding Jr. and Helen Hunt, really good supporting mm-hmm. cast. Um, everybody has a chance to shine. And by the end, there's so much warmth in a heart. You love that old rascal. It also like continues this tradition of romantic comedies, having these like amazing lines to say to women and stuff. (laughs) Like you make me want to be a better man, you know? And so it's like, you have, you had me at hello. Yeah. All this stuff. Um, or, or you complete me and all that. Uh Um, I know what you did last summer, continuing the horrible horror movie. Uh, based i mean basically after scream like everybody had to be sort of this you know let's get a bunch of young kids and have them have all these like uh tight shirts yeah (laughs) (laughs) them in their tight shirts (laughs) um duvall directed the apostle this year oh good movie oh yeah um and if you go in to watch a drama called The Apostles starring Robert Duvall, you will not expect the ultra violence that opens this movie mm-hmm. um, because he basically commits a, an act of violence and then goes on the run from the law 
and goes way into the deep south, forms his own church, gets on the radio preaching. I love this movie. Yeah. I don't know how you guys oh, feel. Oh, it's That's fantastic. Good. It's really uh, good. It's just a, such a layered. Usually the movie gives us clergy that are just cookie cutters, right? Mm-hmm. They're just basically Jesus in human form. They're super awesome people. This is one of the most layered portrayals of a religious clergyman that i have ever seen mm-hmm. he's flawed he's so flawed mm-hmm. uh, but he wants to be good he wants to fix it um and at the end when they finally come and arrest him and they're driving off and he's just so casual about it he's like accepted it long before it happened and he's like i thought you guys were driving fords these days so, like, he's talking about the make and model <laughs> yeah, of the yeah, cop yeah. car um anyway really good movie he's um awesome. con air came out this yeah! was nicholas cage Ooh. sort of this was a i mean every made leaving las Ooh, vegas come on man i boo this movie with all the boos in my heart oh. i can't get past nicholas cage put I, the bunny in after the bag. he made leaving las vegas and won the Oscar. The Rock, Face Off, and Con Air. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to cash in on this, baby. <laughs> yep. Um, Put the pedal to the metal. That's right. That's awesome. we, we don't need to talk about that much more. The Full Monty came out in 1997. Yeah. Another big, big That's a huge hit. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, uh, David Lynch came out with a movie that polarizes most people. It may, may, most people may hate it. I love it. Lost Highway came out in yeah. 1997. Uh, One of the best soundtracks of the 90s. Yeah. It's a weird movie, but man, uh, I, I love when uh, Robert Blake tells Bill Pullman, I'm at your house right now. And Bill Pullman's <laughs> like, that's fucking crazy. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the real movie that kept Scream going was Scream 2 uh-huh. came out uh, that same December that Titanic did as well as like it was James Bond a new Tomorrow Never Dies I think it was Tomorrow Never Dies came out and uh, Good Will Hunting it was like a huge December yeah like, it was it wasn't just Titanic it was Good Will Hunting and all these movies coming out um, Spawn mm. Yeah. One one movie I wanted to mention is one of my favorite comedies is Gross Point Blank. Oh I'll yeah, yeah. And we have talked about Gross Point Blank yeah. a bunch, and it's well worth watching. Yeah. yeah, this is one of the best. Uh, this is one of the funniest movies you'll ever run oh, into. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, um, because you did that, I'm going to go ahead and throw out the man who knew too little. Yes, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which nice. is I think a uh, sorely underseen Bill Murray. Yes, it yeah. is. This is really entertaining. He's he's almost at what about Bob levels of social cluelessness here. He's an American. He's gone over to visit his brother in England. Uh, his brother has a biz- business deal going on, and so he, to get his goofy Bill Murray brother out of the way, he's bought him this spy experience <laughs> where he's going to be approached by somebody. It's almost like the game, really, mm-hmm. when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Murray is so stupid, um, he goes out, and the very first thing that happens to him, he he thinks is the game, and he gets caught up in this real-life uh, spy intrigue thing. And yeah. I just... Uh, that, there's a part at the end where he goes out a window... And he's he's on the cliff and they're shooting at him and like a little bullet debris gets in his eye and he's like time out because time out. he thinks it's all an act and he's like I got something in my eye Jack off um, and just for the physical comedy of Bill Murray doing the Russian dance at the end this movie's worth a totally watch. agree yeah. on that um, I'll mention Kiss the Girls because we've mentioned Ashley Judd a bunch yeah uh, I've got a signed poster of Kiss the Girls in my house um, Amistad was uh, Spielberg's second movie of the year. He was trying to do that Jurassic Park Schindler's List one-two punch. 
Um, Lost World has its problems. Amistad has its problems. Yep. Not not the best of uh, of his uh, career. Uh, Copland, good movie. I like yeah. Copland. Yeah. Really yeah. Good. Uh, I love The Edge too. The yeah, Anthony Hopkins. Man. I just David saw that a Mamet weeks wrote ago. that too. Yeah, David Mamet did write that. Yeah. Um, uh, the Edge is great. The Postman came out. Um, uh-huh. Air Force One, another mm-hmm. big movie. Get off my plane. Yeah, well, yeah. Known for that more than anything. Another great. Uh, Gary Oldman villain performance. Yeah. That was a huge hit, though. That made a shit ton of money. It did. It was a big hit. It was, uh, let me look at it, fifth uh, that year. Fifth. Yeah. Um, we talked about Gross Point Blank. There were two high school reunion movies that came out. Romy and Michelle's <laughs> High School oh, yeah, Reunion, yeah. Um, which I actually like. I think it's an enjoyable Mira movie. Sorvino's follow-up to her Oscar performance. Yeah, yeah. It's actually it's actually a pretty fun movie. Uh, Howard Stern's Private Parts. Yeah. This yeah. is Paul Giamatti yeah. at his fucking <laughs> you best. Goddamn yeah. You goddamn motherfuckers. You goddamn motherfuckers. This is, I could almost I could almost. Uh, I could make a really strong argument that he should have gotten an Oscar nomination uh-huh. for that. Even yeah. though, if you don't like the movie and you don't like Howard Stern, Paul Giamatti is a fucking amazing. Yeah, he is. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yep. Uh, Volcano and Dante's Peak had yep. that thing going on. Orgasmo. Orgasmo. Um, we should probably mention like the ice storm and the sweet oh, year yeah, after. Yeah, I'll. I mean, I'll eventually get to it. But Wag the Dog. I love that movie. Yeah, I do too. Great. Mm-hmm. Ma- uh, Open your eyes, which is the movie that would become Vanilla Sky later. Mm-hmm. Uh, your eyes. Conspiracy theory. Uh, two girls and a guy. A lot of people love that. The Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, James Toback is one of those. Like, he's very improvisational in his shooting style, mm-hmm. and he cast Robert Downey Jr. in basically every movie he makes. But this is probably his best, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the ice storm you mentioned, Ang Lee, another. Oh, this is such a good. Oh, oh such a good movie. The vibe, like the the the, the mood. Of yes. This movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I highly recommend watching that. Oh, The Sweet Hereafter. Yeah. That yeah. Good God, The Sweet Hereafter. You know what? I'm going to get past all these other lists here. There's going to be like <laughs> 500 movies you should have mentioned. <laughs> Deconstructing Harry, which is a, yep. a fun little Woody yep. Allen movie, came out in 1997. I think we're ready to vote, at least. This should be interesting. It yeah. will be. So our order today is Barrett, Jeremy, and Chris. Oh. oh I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Me neither. Me neither. I am going to vote for Goodwill Hunting. Wow. Mm. Uh, it had a huge impact on me. I saw it actually overseas, mm. uh, which was a weird experience because when they made the Ted Kaczynski joke, it crickets. <laughs> and, I, and I was the only one that was laughing. And it's like, you know, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm in Wales. Uh, I love it. The performances are locked in. I have watched this movie more, and I've watched all of these movies a lot. I've watched this movie more uh, than any other this year, and that's my pick. All right. Good pick. I can't criticize it, um, but I'm going LA Confidential. Mm-hmm. There is a scope here that by the end of the movie, I feel like my real world will be thrown off if the if they don't fix it and solve the problem mm-hmm. within the movie. Like, yeah. That's how big everything feels. Like it f- almost feels like this movie's outcome could impact real life. Yeah. Uh, and there's not a bad performance in here at all. Everyone is expertly cast and uh, every time I watch it I'm just like, well, I'll just watch for a few minutes. Fuck, I lost 3 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um we're going to go another round, guys. Awesome. I'm going to I'm going to go with Jackie Brown on this nice. because uh, I have seen this one above all the movies in 1997, um, more than any of the ones that we've talked about. And 
really honestly that doesn't mean that it's the best it just means that to me i i i can get into this just anywhere and enjoy it doesn't matter i think la confidential you like if you know you can't wander i don't know if you could wander into this movie about an hour and a half in and right. be like you know right whatever that's not the that's not really the criteria uh, but I just I think I've seen Jackie Brown more than these movies, mm. and I continually go to that. And if I had them those three in front of me, I would always pick it. Yeah, yeah. that's a good yeah. point. I, I, I no, so, yeah. Well, um, I'm hoping to not fuck this further, but my second pick is Boogie Nights. Okay, Ooh, Boogie yeah. Nights is great. Interesting yeah. that you chose "fuck this further" <laughs> as a phrase <laughs> with Boogie Nights. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Paul Thomas Anderson. I, I think you're right. I think this is my. There will be blood is way up there, but this is probably my favorite one of his too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I like Pulp Fiction. I like Jackie Brown more than Pulp Fiction. I like Boogie Nights more than Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Ah, my mm. second pick is Boogie Nights. Transitive mm-hmm. logic. Yeah. Um and. If only for the God Only Knows montage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is, I don't know that there's an example of better filmmaking in existence. Like, mm-hmm. that three-minute section is perfect. It's gorgeous. Um, and I, I just love this movie, and so it's it's Boogie Nights. So mm. it, I, it's up to you, buddy. Where uh, are we going to go from here? Well, I, I, what, what would happen? Now, I, I already have my pick locked and loaded, yep. so I'm not letting this influence me. But if I were to say Boogie Nights, that's the winner. That would be the winner. That would be the but winner. But if I were to say L.A. Confidential is mine, I think that makes that the winner. Yeah, because it had a first round. Vote. Yeah, it has a first, first round. First and a second. Yeah. And then so the- L.A. Confidential is my pick. Ah. And it's um for everything that Jeremy just said there. Uh, the man, this movie. I didn't know movies could be made like this when ninety when ninety seven yeah. rolled around. <laughs> they, it just it's this movie's just so fucking good. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. So that's my pick. All right, we have a winner. That's it. Mm-hmm. LA Confidential wins. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so our topic today is talking about people who were at the top of their game. I'm in my prime. Now my shit together is my shit together. I'm peaking. It's my time now. Nobody does it better. The eras in which they were the top actors, directors, composers, the like. Um, we've talked about that. I'm going to go through uh, 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 some easy ones first mm. before we get into this and everything. Because I wrote these these guys down, but I was like, we've probably talked about these guys a lot. Mm. So I don't want to hash this out on the podcast again just just to go over it though we've talked about john hughes before Mm -hmm. uh john hughes had a had a period of time where he was arguably at the top of his game uh 1984 to 1987 where he did 16 candles the breakfast club plain strange and automobiles first bueller's day off all that unreal like run we talked about rob reiner ad nauseum on this he had a a stretch from 84 to 95 where he came out with spinal tab uh, stand by me american president a few good men princess bride all these movies um so he was at the top of his game from 84 to 95 spielberg talked about a lot about that in the earlier podcast because he had come out with jaws close encounters of the third kind et raiders of the lost ark um so the that's an example of what we're going for here when were these people at the height of their powers and i'll jeremy you want to go on with this all right i'll kick it off um i'm gonna kick it off with uh somebody related to who you just talked about a uh, mr john williams yes oh, now yeah john williams is great 
And nobody we're going to talk about today are we saying the stuff they did outside this era is bad. Yeah. No, we're just saying this stretch run might be them at the top of their game. And I literally wrote down, in a row, this fucker did Jaws, Star Wars, Close Encounters, Superman, Raiders, Empire, and E.T. all inside seven years' time. Yeah. How in the fuck? Those are all That's iconic insane. scores. That's I actually insane. played this game last night in my head where I thought I might throw it over and go, sing Raiders or sing Superman. <laughs> We'd all be able to do it. Those are all so you know freaking what? iconic. You know what would happen, though, is we would confuse the Superman and the Star Wars scores because yeah, that yeah. happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. He uses the same instruments and yeah. all that, and it's like it's like... It's like, what, how's that go? It goes, nah, 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 nah. And no, that's Star Wars, man. That's Star Wars. <laughs> uh, so I just feel like, I mean, because they're all so iconic. I remember when I was younger, before I even really got into film, it blew my mind that the same guy had come up with the Star Wars, Superman, and Indiana Jones themes because mm -hmm. those were the three biggest theme musics of my childhood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you couldn't, and those are the most played scores from movies of all time. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close. Maybe the Star Trek theme, but yeah. not even not even that. Yeah. I mean, and then he wrote Home Alone, and then he wrote you know, yeah. all these other things. It's just... Yeah, but you're in that era, like you're saying, like how does a guy just... I mean, how does he come up with all these things all at once? I'm sure he had some people kind of help him out with well, that, but I mean, that's insane. Yeah, it's, I mean, and they're that's, also individualized too. He, yeah, Star Wars and, and Superman. I know you said that facetiously, but they, they do have a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. But you know, the Indiana Jones theme song or theme music and ET theme music are very different from yeah, Star Wars. Jaws yeah. is nothing like Jaws, any other. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's what's always awesome. By the way, this is somewhat getting off topic, but like. John Williams, like when you find out that he's done a score that you like that you didn't know was him, you know, like he did JFK and he did. Um, well, I mean, I knew he did Catch Me If You Can, but that's a completely different thing oh, that yeah. he had done I love that score. before and everything. I love that. But yeah, they are pretty much different all through that era. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next up. Um, I'm going to go with a classic guy here. Frank Capra. Oh. oh yeah. Um, this guy had and has a. I, I I realized looking at Frank Capra that I need to learn more about Frank Capra. Hmm. Um, because the guy did okay. So his biggest one was 1934. Uh, it happened one night. This is the from the. This is what starts off this era that I'm talking about. It happened one night was a big movie. Uh, Mr. Deeds goes to town came uh, a couple years later. Uh, then, uh, he did stuff that I haven't seen before, like lost horizon, but I know, uh, you can't take it with you is one of those movies that people always talk about. Great all time classics. Mr. Smith goes to Washington yep. came out in 1939. So he's made a lot by this point, but he's not done because then he does, um, he goes to war. <laughs> and does these why we fight documentaries oh. he's he does like a load of these things basically for the military like that's basically his career during world war ii is to make these i'm supposing i don't know he says they're not propaganda but <laughs> propaganda type movies yeah. and everything in between all of that though he does arsenic and old lace god i love that great movie, movie with carrie yeah. grant i and did it, that play in college actually oh really i've played the i played the goofy cop who's a writer who keeps wanting to show his uh -huh. play to the playwright <laughs> uh, my mom thank heavens showed me this movie when i was a teenager uh -huh. 
um, and had so much love for that just rubbed off on me. It's probably my favorite Capra film. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So good. And I remember like stumbling on this and and i was like oh, okay I, i'll give this a shot and then you're just like transfixed yeah yeah all and the Cary way through Grant, god the he's faces so he makes in this yeah, movie yeah, yeah. oh he's so he's good he's a cartoon yeah um in so he he does that in between all these documentaries and everything like that then he caps it off with the movie that everybody knows him for it's a wonderful life yeah. came mm-hmm. out in 1946 uh i don't know of an 1934 to 1946 must have been just I don't know what what was going through the water with Frank Capra at that point and Jimmy Stewart yeah you know, Jimmy Stewart it, it, yeah. yeah I mean the guy uh, I mean you look at these credits and he's like it's like there's like many multiple like he did this all in one year yeah. type stuff and and uh, it's just I mean when, that's how just ridiculously prolific you yeah. know and uh, and and so many good movies came out of it and everything so that's that's my first one nice I'm glad that you guys picked things other than actors because I'm going to pick an actor on this but when you think of an actor like entering his prime, you can think of him like a like an NBA player. Mm. Um, like you can see LeBron entering his prime, and then you can just enjoy it. Like you, you'll never see anything like this, or Michael Jordan, or something yeah. like that. And that happened to me with Daniel Day Lewis mm. because there was a point in time, and it may we may still be on the close to that where you'd just watch whatever he would do because he was that good. He was mm. so much better at acting than anybody else. But starting with, and you could see him entering his prime when he was doing like My Left Foot and stuff like that, uh, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, which is a great underseen movie. But he really started hitting it out of the park with The Last of the Mohicans in my, in my mind. So that was 1992. And then he starts doing The Age of Innocence, In the Name of the Father, which was an unbelievable performance, The Boxer. Mm-hmm. And then if there's another notch to be taken up, he goes into Gangs of New York. Yeah. Which is a whole different level. And then he takes that up another notch and does There Will Be Blood. And so that's a range that just pure acting, and he wasn't in the tabloids. It wasn't, you know, dating supermodels. He may have dated supermodels. We didn't know about it. But he was just, every time he was on camera, he crushed it. Yeah. And, you know, he did Lincoln afterwards. And, you know, people loved that performance and everything. I didn't like that movie all that much. But uh, just capping it off with there'll be blood is just an amazing run yeah this is a guy that always transforms he's a he's a method actor so it's a a lot of this is like you know you gotta you know call me by my character name and all sort of type of stuff he's won three oscars yeah yeah and he arguably should have won a fourth one for gangs of new york oh yeah he uh he didn't get it because i'm pretty sure there was a lot of politics during that year about chicago and Mm -hmm. like people not liking scorsese for whatever reason which i've never been able to figure out um but uh but yeah he is amazing like everything he does he goes full throttle into it it's great and the the gangs of new york thing the the funny story that always came out of that was he was always playing eminem and his (laughs) headphones getting ready to go out there and do his uh his role and well and there's that picture of him when he was shooting lincoln in like some cafe in town completely dressed as lincoln like he left the set and went to get lunch and he's still lincoln and yeah. i just i love that that for some people that's what gets them to the level of artistry that that they need I yeah just think that's fascinating. yeah yeah all right so steven soderbergh mm-hmm. great director in general got mm-hmm. a few potholes in his resume the girlfriend experience bored me to tears mm-hmm. um but in researching this i was i i was going to imdb and typing in big names 
and then scrolling through looking for a run that didn't have a misfire. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised how many misfires I could find on people like Tom Cruise or yeah. Spielberg doesn't even have a huge run except for very early. Yeah. Um, so Soderbergh surprised me when I realized that in a row, here are five films he made in a row, Out of Sight, The Limey, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, and Ocean's Eleven. Yep. Yeah. God damn. Yep. That's solid. That is a man at the top of his game right there, mm-hmm. right? After this, he's going to make Ocean's Twelve, not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes back to the sex lies and videotape thing with Full Frontal. Yeah. Uh, not as good. Um Girlfriend experience. not. But this run, those five films are all A's or A pluses. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, and yeah. uh, you just I didn't realize it at the time that I was living it and experiencing it, but that was his prime. That yeah. was his top of his game. Actually had traffic and Aaron Brockovich in the same year. Yeah. yeah. Um and uh yeah, out of sight is amazing. And and I would also I mean, we'll probably we'll talk about this movie later, but the Limey God. is such a good movie. Terrence man. Stamp is so bad. Yes, he is. Um but then, yeah, to cap off all that with Ocean's Eleven, which is as fun a blockbuster movie that you can watch. I mean, yeah, this is a that's a really solid choice right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, right. Yay nice for job. me. Nice <laughs> job. Victory. That's right. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned Tom Cruise. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit of Tom Cruise here. Um, Tom Cruise has had a career that has spanned from the early 80s up until now. And he's had a lot of different eras, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um and I was trying to think of what would what was really would be his top of his game because he became a star with Top Gun. Really, Risky Business was sort of his kind of intro into being a, a star, but Top Gun really is the one that sort of solidified it. And then suddenly, everything Tom Cruise came out with, people had to go watch and everything. So he had that period of time where I think almost every movie he was in made a hundred million or more. Hmm. Like it was all the way up until like. I can't remember what year it was that it finally broke it. It might've been eyes wide shut that actually mm. broke it. Um, but uh, I, I, I found a little uh, spot from 1996 to 2001 where Tom Cruise, I believe was at the top of his game. Now mm-hmm. there is a, there are some sore spots here and there for Tom Cruise in that, in that spot. But, uh, in 1996, he does mission impossible and he does Jerry Maguire, which yeah. I think is like his, Sort of the first time, I mean, he had done Born on the Fourth of July and all that, but Jerry Maguire was, I thought, the first time he really did a complete, like, performance and mm-hmm. everything, and it was for a while. And this was a year, by the way, he had done that, you know, interview with a vampire before yeah. that, sort of put a, even though it was a big hit, it, it kind of put a little dent in him yeah. a little bit, because people were like, you're not Lestat, man, yeah. you're not my Lestat, <laughs> Um uh, but uh, he did those, and and I, I feel like he he sort of started taking things a little bit more seriously at this point because then Eyes Wide Shut comes right after that. Mm-hmm. It of course takes him forever to make it because Kubrick takes forever to make it. He didn't come out with a major movie from '96 to '99. It was That's Eyes crazy. Wide Shut. That's crazy. And uh, and he is uh, amazing in Eyes Wide Shut. But I think his best performance is in Magnolia. Oh yeah. And uh he he you know he he takes the uh you know he he sort of learns his uh the things he does there from the pickup artist community. Yeah, yeah. And this is the first time I've seen Cruz like really like vulnerable in a strong role. Like, you know, born on the 4th of July, he's kind of like, you know, he's he, I, we always have to include that as part of his like great uh, body of work, but in this period of time, man, I think Magnolia, he's just, 
as good as he's, he's ever been. He's electric in that movie. He's yeah. so good. And um, and then he does Mission Impossible 2, not a good movie, but another bad John Woo movie, by the way. But then he does Vanilla Sky. Now, Vanilla Sky is polarizing. Yeah, where do you stand on I it? Love I Sky. love Vanilla Sky, too. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You guys are both looking at me now? Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Uh, nice. I just like the original better. Yeah, um, yeah. And I didn't think it was necessary, but uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and he is terrific. Oh, he's so he good. He is at absolutely it. terrific in that. Yeah. That shows every side of him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like this is the period of time that Tom Cruise is at his very, very best. Now, he, and then after that, he does stuff like Minority Report, which I love. Yeah, I adore yeah. Minority Report. The Last Samurai, I haven't seen that in forever. It's great. He's awesome in it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Collateral, where he's all, he's oh, playing geez, a bad yeah, guy. Yeah. And I, now I said tonight to 2001, really I should go to 2004. Yeah. Because Collateral is another like role he had never done before. He's a evil dude yeah, yeah, in he's Collateral. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, then after that, he's back to sort of like doing the uh you know big blockbuster movies and they're not all great you know it's and and plus around this era when he does war of the worlds and mission impossible it's actually mission impossible 3 2006 was the year that everybody was like oh tom cruise the scientology so fucking crazy you don't like that guy anymore you know jumping on the couch even though he didn't really do that (laughs) he didn't do that and he just he just jumped on the couch yeah then <laughs> yeah. jumped up and down on the couch um he may not even done that i think there was like yeah, a he U- jumped on it he, yeah. but there was a youtube video that sort of made it seem like he did all these things that he didn't really do in that oprah winfrey <laughs> interview anyway was, at, the, at the very least way too far over the right, top he was about way 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 over the top <laughs> well wouldn't you be uh, um I'm, no I'm, i would be the right amount of over the top <laughs> I, I i i know i've been over the top but watching Chris has jumped on some couches yeah, before yeah, yeah exactly but uh, but yeah i I think that's his era right there that that little pocket even though he was a major star before that era and he's continued it he's finally finally gotten back to what we like about him in these mission impossible movies the jack reacher Uh and all this other stuff and edge of tomorrow yeah uh you could almost argue he's going through another peak uh, period right now because he's doing such great work now. Especially if you throw in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing where he's been such, such you know, built into our culture for so long. It's almost like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan wasn't always the peak greatest. Mm-hmm. It's, it's those years from, you know, 95, 96, 97, 98, where he was just outstanding. He was otherworldly. It's mm-hmm. Tiger Woods in, in his yeah. heyday, you know? Yeah. Um, so getting to that point is really fun. So I'm, I'm finna blow your mind. Fitting? I'm finna blow Fitting. your mind because I'm going to give you two primes with one person, and that's Woody Allen. Yeah. Oh. Woody Allen from 73 to 86. Mm-hmm. Then he takes a, a little bit of a, a drop, but then he goes back into his prime uh, from 89 to 95, and you could make an argument that he does a third prime, but I'm not going to talk about that. Right, so, right. I know what you're talking but, about. But uh, from, from 73 to 86, here's our run here. Sleeper. Love and Death, Annie Hall, Interiors, which we talked about mm-hmm. a little bit, Manhattan, Stardust Memories, Midsummer Night Sex Comedy, Zelig, Broadway, Danny Rose, Purple Rose of Cairo, and Hannah and Her Sisters. Yeah. That is a huge run of beautiful movies. And they, yes, they all have the Woody Allen aesthetic, but they're not the same. There are a lot of inventive Woody Allen movies in there. Like, yeah, there's some that are, that are, uh, 
they're sort of taken off on uh, uh older movies like stardust memories is a very yeah. like retro type type of movie but it's it's done in woody allen style zelig is one of my favorites of that group that you mentioned yeah. there i mean outside of annie hall manhattan and all that zelig is a, just a that's a it's just a quirky ass great yeah. movie well and look at sleepers sleepers yeah. completely innocuous thing it's <laughs> yeah. like what the hell is this and you go back and watch it it's awesome it's fantastic so after that he has a drop he does radio days he does september he does another woman uh all of which you know i'm not really a huge fan of but then coming back in 1989 crimes and misdemeanors yep. kicks this off alice shadows and fog which some people don't like but husbands and wives manhattan murder mystery bullets over broadway and Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah. God damn. That yeah. is too... Anybody would kill for like half of those primes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he kills it. And then, again, if you if you want to count the times that now he goes to Europe, it would, starting at Match Point and yeah. then Vicky Cristina Barcelona and Midnight in Paris and all that stuff. Which is another good That's a great run, run too. So uh, this guy just keeps reinventing himself. And say what you will about you know all the stuff that's, that, uh, that kind of surrounds that. His movies around this era are him at the top of his game. And they're they're amazing. Well, what's funny is your second era there with Manhattan Murder Mysteries, Bullets Over Broadway, and Mighty Aphrodite. Those are my three favorite Woody Allen movies. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's probably my preferred era. Uh, but you're right. He's had more than one time at the top of his game. Yeah. Uh, flirted with a third. I mean, who knows what he'll do. He's one of these directors. I was looking at uh, people like Scorsese right off the bat to see what their stretches were. And, uh you know people like him like scorsese and then woody allen and everything they're such good directors they come out with lots of stuff so a lot of times they'll come out with a lot of things that aren't exactly the best or whatever scorsese is one of the an interesting one to look at because he never really had like an era where he came out with like five straight slam bang movies that right. were amazing mm-hmm. well, you can you can argue about some of the ones that he came out with in the 70s outside of taxi driver but and mean streets but like uh, you, there's not really a lot in there where you're going, yeah, man, New York, New York, that's my shit. And, <laughs> and the king of comedy, man, that's a fucking great, you know, I love the king of comedy and everything, but, it, you know, it's in between all that Mean Street, yeah. Taxi Driver, and then Raging Bull, there's like all this other stuff that's in the middle there that's kind of like, eh. Woody Allen does that all the time. Yeah. He'll go on five-year stretches where there's not a good movie. And then he'll come uh-huh. out with something great three years in a row, and then it'll be back down again. He's always inventing and trying to make, you know, he's trying to make something good every time. And he may not, I, I think he loves just doing, I, lo- I think he just loves being a director. Yeah, and I mean, even his misses, though, aren't bad. You mentioned uh, Deconstructing Harry. To- <laughs> yeah, I love that yeah, movie. I, do too. I don't think it's up in, like, the top of his game. Yeah. I mean, I love Celebrity. I thought yeah, that Celebrity, was a Yeah, Celebrity, which one. has the uh, one of the best all-time cameos with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And yeah. Kenneth Branagh playing the Woody Allen yep, character. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so even his lesser stuff I like, and, and some of those in those runs are, are you know, relatively lesser, but, man, what, what a run. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, top of their game, I'm going to choose somebody who's never been off his game. Ooh. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. Oh, nice. I don't think he's ever had a bad performance. Probably not. He ever has. But here I'm going to list for you what I think is his prime, him at the top of his game. And it's not just because of the quality of the movies and the quality of his performance, but also the variety of the kinds of characters he's playing in this stretch. So all in a row, he did Magnolia, Talented Mr. Ripley, State and Maine, 
Almost Famous. Yeah. Wow. Now, Almost Famous, he nearly steals this movie mm-hmm. with like three scenes that are phone <laughs> right. calls. Um, in Maine, he's playing this do-gooder, um, wide-eyed, optimist writer. Mm-hmm. And in Magnolia, he's playing this at this point, probably tortured nurse who's looking after this guy. And it's probably the most hellish existence you could imagine. Yeah. But he's so dutiful in his job that, you know, he clearly cares about humanity and and death with dignity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have talented Mr. Ripley, where he's kind of the savvy, smart ass yeah. American traveler. Guy. He's wise to Matt Damon from the start. Yeah, he is. Dummy, dummy, dummy. And so, I, again, I don't think he's ever been bad. Yeah. I could talk about Mission Impossible 3. Mm-hmm. Oh. If he's not in that movie, oh, yeah. I might yeah. not watch that right. movie. I could talk about any era of his, but that run right there, I think, represents him being at the very, very top. Yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent point if you ever want to i mean just uh, magnolia is one of those where he <laughs> that there's some there's parts of performances a lot of times just stay with you all the time and and the part where he's on the phone trying to get the porno mags trying to get the he's he's, tra- he's going through the porno mags he's trying to he's trying to get uh frank tj Mackey on the phone and all that watch that entire sequence of him being on the phone trying to trying to get this guy and he goes through the gamut of emotions on it because well first off i mean just anything with him on the phone during that sequence because he's first he's calling about getting the magazines right and he 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 throws all this other stuff in there to make it look like you know (laughs) he's not really just in it for the porno and uh and and they're like and the girl on the other end of the line is like is that all you want and he's like yeah i mean what you know (laughs) but but him trying to get him on the phone he goes through all this stuff and he he finally has to like he breaks down he's like his dad is dying he's trying to he's now has he needs to see his son for the last time all that and the guy's like there's a guy on the other end of the line says well my mom died of cancer last year he's like oh my god that's such a horrible disease yeah you know yeah, he's, yeah. he's such a caretaker yeah. he has to take you know he, he has to consider that but um okay matthew mcconaughey 2011 to 2014 this was very Ooh, recent okay um uh, a lot of people credit uh true detective and dallas buyers club as the reason why mcconaughey became mcconaughey <laughs> during that time but really it was the lincoln lawyer that that oh. sort of brought him back he had in and a few years before this he had done tropic thunder so it was kind of like okay maybe mcconaughey's kind of coming back but then he did ghost of girlfriend's past that just mm. fucking blew it <laughs> nuked it uh but lincoln lawyer is what is the movie that got him back and mm. then you guys talked about bernie i've not seen this movie he's in that mm-hmm. uh but then there's like killer joe which oh, is a movie yeah. that i actually don't like killer joe but i love matthew mcconaughey uh, in it. yeah um and then he does <laughs> the movie mud uh, which is the the one where he's got the kids coming and giving him stuff. He's a fugitive and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such a good movie. And then he does Magic Mike. And then Dallas Buyers Club gets him in Wolf of Wall Street and uh, then yeah. True Detective. Uh, yeah. Now, there are some things in there, a couple of things. Like, I've never seen The Paperboy. I don't know what the fuck that uh, is. Oh, with Nicole Kidman. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... But that's the Lincoln Lawyer is really what got him back into this thing, and he had that stretch there. Now he's getting back into, the, you know, some movies we don't, yeah, we don't really want you to see you in that, or yeah. whatever. But yeah, the yeah. Ma- the Yeah, the, the Yeah, he had a huge one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
All right, I'm going to pick something that's it's a little bit outside the norm. Uh, for whatever reason, when we thought about the top of our game, I thought about John Cusack. Uh, oh. John Cusack is another one of those that really never delivers a bad performance, mm-hmm. you know? Doesn't ever seem like he's mailing things in, and, you know, he's got some incredible roles. And then even, like, his lesser stuff, like 1408 or Identity mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, he, he's always charming. He's always relatable. And so, but he's got a stretch between 1997 and 2000 mm-hmm. that he is really, really on, on point. He released five movies in 1997. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Yeah, he was in uh, in 1997. He was in Gross Point Blank, Con Air, Chicago Cab, Anastasia, and Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And all of those, aside from I don't know what Chicago Cab is, but all of the <laughs> all the other ones are fun. I know you know he's not like Con Air, but. Um, that's a good run right there. But then he goes on to do The Thin Red Line in 1998 yep. and talk about- Of course, everybody did The Thin Red Line. Talk about a cast and yeah. thing. That's going to be crazy. He's in Pushing 10, which I think is a very underrated movie. Oh, I, I love uh, Pushing I 10. Movie. I yeah. think that's a great one where he's a, a air traffic controller. He's in Cradle Rock, which I talked about a zillion mm-hmm. years ago, which is a, a really good movie. Uh, then he starts doing Being John Malkovich, yep. which was just a bonkers movie. Yeah. And then he, he caps it off with High Fidelity, which is maybe- if you look back on his career, maybe that's one of the the performances that he's going to be known best right. for. Yeah. Uh, besides, you if know, the there's early any justice. Of, it will be, yeah. Maybe uh, besides the the Lloyd Dobler character and say anything. But yeah, those two, high fidelity and say anything. But that's a terrific run. I mean, yeah. he's, he's in great movies. When he isn't something that's a little bit off off the beaten path, like Pushing Ten, which is not a straightforward comedy at all. No. Um, he really sells it, and he's got quite a range on that, you know? So uh, he's he's got a really, really good run there, kind of late in his career, relatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had uh, he had done a lot of stuff in the 80s and the early 90s and everything, and then Gross Point Blank is where that's he actually uh, helped write the screenplay on yeah. that, and High Fidelity as yeah. well, um, with a bunch of his buddies. And ba- those two movies are, are perfect. Mm-hmm. You just go back and you can watch those back to back. Those yeah. are excellent. Yeah. But yeah, I, some of those movies in 97 are a little questionable, like <laughs> Anastasia and, uh, that's a, that's an and even Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil isn't like, eh, it's kind of, eh. but, um, but after that, you know, one, gross point blank and all that stuff that you talked about mm-hmm. after that, amazing shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of those are good. Uh, so we ready for some Q and A? Let's do a Q. Yeah. I'm gonna give you an A. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Quick reminder: go to our subreddit, reddit.com/r/cinemasins, and there's a weekly question thread that you can add to. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter at uh, Cinemasins or on SoundCloud, of course, where you're. Uh, maybe listening to this episode. Um, even if you listen on iTunes or Spotify, comment on SoundCloud. If you got any questions, we will get to them. Uh, we've only got time for one question today, but it is a good one. What are your favorite foreign language movies? Jeremy, you want to start? Ooh, I'll start because my very favorite is Life is Beautiful. Which yeah. We briefly mentioned, mm. and I held off uh, until now. Um, Roberto Benigni, I'd never seen him in anything. He he was already a, a movie star, director in Italian film, mm-hmm. uh, but I'd never seen anything he'd done. This is, I think, the first American audiences in general ever got to see him. The woman that's playing his wife in the movie, I'm pretty sure is his wife it in real is, life. Yeah. Um, the, the kid that plays their son might even be their real son. Uh, it's so charming. This is the first time I'd ever seen anyone infuse charm and romance and laughter into a 
a concentration camp style setting in a way that didn't feel super disrespectful. Yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, that scene in Schindler's List where they're in the barracks and they're all being forced to run around naked. This is that kind of environment. Only he's trying to keep his son from being scared and being uh, afraid. And so he's he keeps telling his son that this is all a game and mm. we just have to play the game right and everything will be okay. And it, it, it's heartbreaking. It's sweet. I love the way he calls his wife Principecia. Mm-hmm. Um which is not her name. He's calling her princess. I love the way you say Joshua in Italian. Je suis. Um, everything about this movie is good. That little kid with his wide eyes is so freaking cute. I want to strangle him, which only makes it even worse. Um, I just love this movie. And it came out right around, I think it hit American theaters in 98. Yes, um, it did. Because it, it actually Private got, Ryan because it got a Best Picture nomination yeah. in 1980. And so to have this one-two punch for Saving Private Ryan and then Life is Beautiful, two completely different looks at World War II, uh, both valid in their approaches. And of course, Jacob the Liar will come out later trying to do the same thing that Life is Beautiful did. And Robin Williams, bless his heart, can't come close to the magic. And then, of course... Roberto Bonini at the Oscars was so oh, yeah, hilarious was <laughs> uh, because he's just so effusive and complimentary. Jumps up on a seat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Runs down the aisle. Yeah. So that's my pick. Uh, I have watched it several times. Try not crying at the end of Life is Beautiful. Oh, God. Try not. Try I not. showed it to my wife. <laughs> I dare you. Yeah. My wife was so mad at me at the end of that movie. She loved it, but she did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. You kind of should, though, given the circumstances. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about not only tears of sadness, but tears of joy. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those type of movies where yeah. it's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's one of those that just like, oh, that's sad. And then by the end of it, there's that sort of the bittersweet type of yeah. ending where it's, it ends on that whatever. And it's like, you know, you, you, you leave that one affected, man. You can't mm. walk straight after that. Yeah, movie. seriously. Um, I have uh, a few and and. I always have to juggle between these three city of God mm-hmm. cinema Paradiso and Amelie. Mm-hmm. all the, all three of those, I have to juggle between them as far as what's my favorite ones. Uh, you know, cinema Paradiso is it, kind of funny. You bring up life is beautiful. Here's cinema Paradiso is another Italian movie. Frank Capra earlier, an Italian American director. I mean, Italians, man, they were they're killing it. Yeah, they're killing it. But uh, but I'm gonna if I had to pick one, I'm gonna go City of God because that movie's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's mine. You nice. know what I just realized? What? I should have said Apocalypto. Oh, yeah. I just don't classify that as a yeah. foreign language film because it's like Mayan or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, sorely underrated. Oh yeah, and yeah. underseen. I feel like a lot of people just yeah. never talk about. It. Well, talk about a movie that 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 didn't get its fair shake because the person behind it did so many stupid things. Yeah, uh, and yeah, but. It's, oh, it's such a good movie. Yeah. Go on, Barrett. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. <laughs> One of my favorite ones uh, that came out and, and actually got remade by David Fincher and, uh, you know, to pretty wide acclaim, but the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo yeah. Oh, yeah. is a terrific movie. Yeah, it is. This is where you get uh, Numi Rapace yeah. is the, uh, plays Elizabeth Salander. Uh, of course, the, the book in the trilogy uh, by Stig Larsson was, was just enormous. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody read this book and they were looking for the, um, the, the Swedish uh, version of it, uh, which came out in 2009 and it got remade in 2011. And 
it's really great. It's really great. It's, it, you know, the best are these foreign movies, and I know people are listening in different countries, and us Americans think, oh, well, everything revolves around us. But <laughs> when, when, you, when you watch a foreign language movie and you just stop noticing the subtitles, it, it just is, yeah. you know? And, but this is an awesome movie. I mean, the, the characters get along really well. The story is really, really great. Even though it should be the slowest story and the slowest movie ever, it is filled with action and just nuance great mystery. and everything. It is a great mystery, and uh, the original uh, cast that, that plays this, uh, the guy who plays Blomqvist, <laughs> we'll see if I said that correctly, uh, Sweden, um, but uh, is really great, and, and their relationship is actually a little bit more believable for me than the American version. Yeah, and the American version has its, has its you know, it's good, but it, yeah. it, it ain't this No, one. it's not. Yeah. And I was looking forward to it, even though I liked this whole trilogy, because they, they did the whole trilogy yeah, in, they did. in, in they Sweden. Did. Um, the I was really looking forward, because it's David Fincher, you know, yeah. and, and Daniel Craig and everybody, so... Um, and they did a good job, but yeah, again, it's, I saw it's all those. three of those at the bell court. Um, and they were all, they're just all excellent. I don't remember. See, and yeah, we're going to mispronounce all the names and we're sorry, Sweden. <laughs> I don't know if it's Stieg Larson or Stieg Larson. Oh yeah. I think I've heard it both ways, mm-hmm. but fuck it. I don't think he lived to see these movies. No, he didn't. Um, yeah. And, uh, that's unfortunate because those are all really well, well done. I think yeah. it's funny that that character has been played by Numi and Rooney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has. It has. Until someone, someone tells us we're mispronouncing, you know, Numi and it's supposed to be Naomi. Naomi. New Naomi. Verhoeven. That is going to be the Sincast for this week. Uh, continue going to SoundCloud and telling us what you think. And uh, so this is Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. She's a ghost, but there's a part where she takes over Robert, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s body. And of course, Robert Downey Jr. is awesome in this movie because he has to physically be Charles Grodin and Alfred Woodard and then Kira Sedgwick as they each take over his body. He does a great job. But anyway, in this one moment, he's trying to get backstage at the B.B. King concert. Um, and it, it's Alfred Woodard. She's like, you want me to get loud? I will get loud. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Robert Downey Jr. saying it as a sassy black lady. It's hilarious. I was uh, I was just about to write on the top of their game thing. The only reason I didn't put Robert Downey Jr. down was that I felt like I needed to see a couple of these other movies in the era before I brought it up. But I was going to say 1991 to 1994 for Robert Downey Jr. Mm. Because he had uh, Soap Dish, he had Chaplin, he had Heart and Souls, which I still need to see, and Natural Born Killers mm. all came out, and he was really good in all those. And of course, we all know him as Iron Man and... You know, all yeah. this stuff, these Sherlock Holmes and, and everything he's done since he came had made his comeback, but that was his era right there. Oh, yeah. Bear it is a fucker, bear it is a fucker, bear it is a fucker, bear it is a fucker. What do you think about that? I said, I just I wrote a song, one song in the bank. Let's lay down some, <laughs> let's lay down some tracks. In spite of all his imperfections, I'm a fan of man. What do you want, actually? I just want to solve this thing. Even if it means paying the consequences.